The I'm Fine podcast is produced by Lemoore Media LLC and is run by Project Headspace and Timing. Project Headspace and Timing is a 501c3 that I started in 2017 after a veteran that I was a medic to decided to pull over on the side of the road and end his life. As an organization, Project Headspace and Timing works on veteran advocacy and veteran outreach. What that means is through the advocacy uh, perspective, we try to connect veterans to other resources as early on into the process as possible. What that entails is early contact with veterans, forming a safety net with their family members, friends, and fellow service members, educating them on the resources, and when that veteran is ready to get help, we are there to make sure that they get the help that they need. The outreach aspect is put there to get veterans together to do productive and constructive things, whether it's out in nature, working with other businesses, anything to get them out around other veterans where those good conversations can happen if they want to have them. If you are interested in finding out more information about our organization, please visit projectheadspaceandtiming.org, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, or our Instagram, which is Project Headspace and Timing. And if you would like to donate to our organization, uh, please visit our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Scroll to the bottom and you will find a link to our Venmo. If you'd like to send us a check, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 382, Mantino, Illinois, 60950. And if you'd like to sponsor or have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at Eric P. P. is in Paul, at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Thank you. On today's episode of the I'm Fine podcast, we're going to talk to Seth Berkey with Harvard MedTech. So Seth uh, has delved very deep into the world of virtual reality therapy. He brought a headset in. He's going to talk to us about its uses and all of the things and advancements that they've seen and benefits that they've seen from using virtual therapy, not just for veterans, but for people experiencing pain, depression, anxiety, PTSD, uh, and a few other things. Welcome to the I'm Fine Podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. I figured out why I think I feel just like a little bit off. Like I, I you know, like last night we were talking about this episode. I feel like we we're both just kind of like a little, I don't know, out of it. Like yeah. you're dealing with shit from school. Yeah. I'm just dealing with life. And I saw that yesterday that the Earth's inner core, they think it stopped spinning and it started spinning in reverse. And I'm like, maybe that's why. That's And I, I read that and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Because I'm dumb and I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, what does that mean? The Earth's core stopped spinning. And then I read into it and I saw that like it happens roughly like every 70 years, allegedly. That was my alarm. All right. There it is. Yeah. I set to remind me of how nice of a person I am. <laughs> yep. Um, you should smile more. So the, the Earth's core continues to spin, and it spins like it 
every like 70 years or so, allegedly according to some model that they developed, but they think that it just stopped spinning. And when I read stuff like that, it becomes painfully obvious to me how stupid I am. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, you know what, dude, yeah, I'm in the same boat because every time I read something, I'm like, oh, it's the apocalypse, here it is. <laughs> What's in there? What's, what is down there? It's just, I know it's like a big ball of metal and it like spins and that's like all I know, dude. So yeah. when I read that, I was like, does this mean it's the end of days? Like, what does that mean? And they're like, no, I think we, uh, the articles I read was like no we think this happens like a lot i'm like oh i'm just dumb doesn't okay. it like rotate the magnetic field or something too i don't know maybe uh, they, probably <laughs> like <laughs> so i'm just like uh i just kind of feel uh dumb sometimes and that yeah part of that uh leads into what we're going to talk about today yeah uh, so what we're going to talk about today are, are some things that i don't really have any experience on at all nope. um virtual reality therapy so i've used uh vr headsets in the past um just to play games and stuff and that was pretty cool you yeah. know what i mean and i never really thought that it could be used for therapy um i met uh this guy's named seth berkey and seth he's a really cool guy he's got a really cool story um especially like, he moved into uh, a historic house in moments by a real locally famous and nationally famous veteran, uh, Colonel James Castler, which um, he was actually on the Kankakee podcast where he talked to Jake about that house. I think it was episode four. Um, but when he started talking to me about all of the things that were associated with VR and VX therapy um, like months ago, he knew so much about it. And he was just re like, he was telling me all of these things about it where I just, again, realized like, oh man, I'm so dumb. Yeah. Like, I don't understand any of this stuff. Dude. And so, yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I was going to say this, this entire podcast just makes me feel dumb. Oh, we're talking to people sometimes? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's really cool because you get to learn all of yeah. this stuff and we're not professionals, man. No, I don't no, claim to be a professional about anything. Nope. I have a subway club card. I'm like four punches away from a free six inch. Like it's about as professional as I get. But when, when he was talking to me about it and he said something to me about, you know, hey, maybe um, if you ever had an opportunity to have me on the show, it'd be really cool to get up here and talk about it. I was like, absolutely, because yes. it's something that's available to anybody, really, but especially to veterans, because yeah. they actually got linked up with the VA, which I'm going to have them talk about. Um, but as far as other ty different types of therapies that are out there, there's a lot of other therapies that are out there. When people think of therapy, I think they think of the quintessential Freudian model, uh, laying on a couch, looking up, and then talking to somebody um, yep. about, about your problems. But there's a lot of other options out there. Um, I have experience with uh, EMDR, which we had Melanie on to talk about. Um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are a result of disturbing life experiences. I went through EMDR after I got hit by a work truck because I had a little bit of it. I had some issues when I was driving because whenever cars would get too close to me, like I had this giant work truck hit me. It came into my lane, it did a pit maneuver, so it hit me and then kind of pushed me around to the side, the front of it, and it pushed me down a highway. And it was only going like, I think 40 miles an hour or something. And I, I had to go to the hospital, but I was okay. But after that, like, I was, I had some issues driving for a little while, like yeah. I did. And uh, EMDR really kind of helped me out. Yeah. But, and that's kind of outside, that's a newer type of therapy. Now, what have you kind of messed around with? Uh, hypnosis. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been hypnotized a couple times. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, 
yeah, that really kind of connected me with my dad again on a whole nother level in a weird, like, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, super And you cool. loved that and you got something out of it? I did, yeah. It, like I said, it, it being hypnotized, I was able to to talk to my dad, hold my, there was one point where we hugged each other and I could feel Dude. and smell and like, I do, I don't know. We need to it, do an episode about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's super cool. Okay, well then, uh, I will wait no longer. We will uh, bring Seth in here next. So as soon as we get back, we will be here with Seth Berkey of Harvard MedTech. Today with us in the studio is Seth Berkey. Seth lives in moments uh, with his wife and two daughters in a historic house. Mm-hmm. Um Without getting into that too much, but I, I feel like I have to talk about it just a little yeah. bit. If you get a chance to listen to episode four of the Kankakee podcast, uh, Seth was on talking with Jake about uh, the home of Colonel James Castler. Uh, and without getting into it too much, he Colonel Castler was the only person to be awarded the Air Force Cross three times, spent nearly seven years in a North Vietnam prison camp among a bunch of other insane stuff. Uh, it was a really cool episode, and uh, Seth also lives in that house, which is, has to be really cool. But uh, he's here today because he's the director of business development at Harvard MedTech, and he wants to talk about virtual reality therapy, how it works, its uses, and and some things like that. So, uh, Seth, thank you very much for being here, man. Really Thanks for having it. me. This is a, a, a real treat to be here with you guys. I'm a big listener of the podcast. We talked about it a little bit, but I love what you guys are doing and I love the opportunity uh, to be here and chat about what we're doing. So thank you guys. Absolutely. I told you, Brad, at least one person was going to listen to our podcast, dude, and we got one. (laughs) And we're not related. And he's here and and it's not one of our family members, so you know we're doing okay. Uh, Seth, would you mind just giving a brief bio on yourself and how you became interested in VR therapy? Yeah, for sure. So it kind of goes back about 15 or 16 years or, or even before that. I, since a young kid, always interested in science. Um, anatomy, physiology were always things that just really intrigued me. Went into school with the idea that I was going to go to medical school, be a doctor, and through many various um, opportunities and things that deviated me from that path, I ended up getting into uh, the medical device industry. And so uh, primarily working in spine surgery. I did that for about 15 years. And I worked with a handful of companies and did a lot of uh, medical education, worked in the operating room uh, all week long, and really served as a uh, subject matter expert as it related to the technical aspects of how like implants and uh, instruments in spine surgery would perform. So really are part of the surgical team and helping identify which implants are going to be most ideal for which patients. And ultimately, the surgeon always makes that decision, but we're kind of that that support team that helps those decisions be made, right? So I I loved that um, and really the opportunity to be involved in patient care. um, And it was just a, a really, really rewarding 15 years. Fast forward to basically a year ago, to like this week, I exited that industry, um, mainly due to, I mean, you, you guys talk about so many phenomenal things on this podcast, but, you know, kind of incidences of, of personal trauma and family trauma. Right. We just approached the one year anniversary of losing my father-in-law. And, uh, you know, that was a incredibly tragic thing for that family, just kind of how it all happened and how it all went down. 
uh, about a month before that, my, my brother was incredibly ill. Um, and, yeah. and so there, there were a lot of moving parts where we kind of reevaluated where I wanted to be professionally, where I wanted to be with my family. So it was like three or four days after my father-in-law died, I resigned um, from what I was doing and took about four months off and just kind of hit the reset button as a family. And it was during that time where I reevaluated, like I've been doing spine for so long. Are there some other opportunities of fresh new challenges or something else out there? And it was then that I got connected with the CEO of Harvard MedTech, um, who, who kind of laid out his vision for the company and, and his prior story of his tremendous success and uh, what exactly they're doing at Harvard MedTech. And that was really my first exposure to virtual reality as it compares to patient care. Right. Right. Because, you know, virtual reality is has been around forever. Um, you, you can you can trace the the coin. The term virtual reality wasn't actually coined until like the 80s, I think. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, there's a long standing history of flight simulator training, um, VR in very kind of more archaic ways, but trying to achieve the same basic you know goals of what VR does. Um, but I had no idea that in the last probably six, seven years, VR has grown exponentially across the board. I mean, you, you look at like uh, Facebook or, or Meta and the Oculus, right. um, you look at VR as it relates to the general public, gaming and uh, being in the metaverse and all those things. But the number of companies that have jumped in the VR space is tremendous. And it really validates that VR is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But when you look at how VR applies to healthcare, you have to silo it into how are companies using it and what's the end goal, right? So, um, it, you know, you look at it, it, is it for a training purpose, which a lot of VR programs now, I'd say the majority of VR in medicine is for surgical training, physician training, uh, device companies that train representatives to go be in surgery. They have training programs for that. So really the, the vast existence of VR and, and medicine is in that, that kind of medical education training space. But when you, you silo them out into different categories, what we're doing at Harvard MedTech is using virtual reality in a patient care aspect, right? Mm -hmm. the, where the, the end goal is to, to treat patients. Um, and so when you look at that broad scope of how VR exists in the marketplace, the number of companies doing that is very, very small compared to the vastness that VR is broadly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I don't have a longstanding history with, um, with virtual reality. Mm -hmm. uh, my exposure was around this time last year to how it's being used in patient care. But what I do have is a background in neurobiology. Um, anatomy and physiology. I'm uh, a huge student of the of the brain and, and human physiology. Um, I love. I, I still kind of guest lecture and adjunct teacher over teach over at Olivet. Um, that's cool. We do the. They have a cadaver program, and so that's always fun to go in and just kind of do brain and spine. and And they had a neurobiology senior elective course that I helped teach um, a couple years back. So I've always been fascinated with this concept of of the mind and, and how the mind differs from the brain itself. 
Uh, so those, those have always been fascinating to me. And so to couple what Harvard MedTech is doing with VR mm-hmm. and then add in the centerpiece, which is behavioral support, um, that is really where it clicked with me in those early discussions. And I, I just, I made the decision. I was like, I don't really care what this looks like right now. This is something that I want to be a part of. Um, and so I, I jumped in and, and joined up with them in right around the end of May. Mm-hmm. And I've been running and hustling. And, and so our specific program is called VX Therapy. And we, we talk a little bit about how that's different from just a standard uh, VR therapy. But I essentially, like, if I could make my own business card, it would just say VX Therapy Evangelist. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that's, you know, really how I function and, and a lot of what I do is providing education for this tremendous uh, program that we have that's available. So very, cool. very long winded answer to your question, no, but that great is my exposure to VR um, just about a year ago. Well, I mean, it makes sense because I mean, VR, like you said, when I looked up some stuff about VR therapy, I found stuff, I found a lot of articles that were all like six years ago where it seems like maybe there was something, some sort of push or whatever, where like all of these different news outlets all of a sudden wanted to cover um, VR therapy. And I saw that it was primarily used in like anxiety, uh, dealing with fear, exposure therapy. So exposure therapy for anyone unfamiliar, just, you know, it's exposing you to a situation that you're fearful of to manage those automatic responses and become desensitized to that fear. Um, and that totally makes sense to me. Like when we were in the military, I don't know if you ever used the simulator, um, I forget what the, I forget what the name of it was, but like when we would get a, our rifles out and you would put that thing in and then you would go into that like connex and you would be able to practice shooting on a simulator because rounds are expensive. Like, did you ever do that? Yes. 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 Okay. So like, yeah. and that was, I don't know what year for you. That was like 2006 for me, which is almost 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> VR stuff's been around for a while and it would yeah. make sense that you would start to use it for therapeutic purposes, but I kind of thought that it was only really used for fear-based things or anxiety. I didn't see how it could be applicable in other avenues because I don't work in that space. But sure. when I first met you, you were telling me how, yeah, VR therapy, we use it for like pain management, we use it for all this other stuff. And I'm like, how is it even possible? So what kind of things are you able to assist with with VR therapy? Sure. No, that's a great question. And I should I should backtrack a little bit, yeah. you know, in the history of VR, there there were some patient care medical applications of, of burn victims. They've they've used those in, in burn victim uh, units when they're replacing uh, dressings and and working on wounds and stuff as a distraction technique. Um, oh wow! They've they've utilized them in some phlebotomy uh, instances, and so to kind of capitalize on that, I should first really kind of delineate what we do with VX therapy at Harvard MedTech. Yeah. So what we do is we blend two really well-validated things. We take immersive virtual reality and we blend it with behavioral support. And we treat physical and emotional trauma and all of its side effects, right? Mm -hmm. So things that come along with physical and emotional trauma, pain is a big, big one. Anxiety, depression, PTSD, and PTSD-related symptoms. And interestingly enough, sleep and sleep architecture. Wow. Um, so, you know, and we can talk a little bit more about sleep, but 
there are so many um, articles and publications in medical literature that validate sleep is so interconnected to overall well-being and health. It's oh, just, yeah. It, it's been discussed for decades, and, and we know that sleep is, is critical in a, in a normal, healthy human being. So when you look at what does sleep do in the person that's healing from a traumatic event, um, it kind of compounds that and, and makes it even more important, right? Right. <clears throat> so when we look at physical and emotional trauma and all those side effects, one of the biggest things you, you brought up was like, okay, what are, you, what are you doing in this pain space? Like, what does that mean? So when we look at pain and, and how we experience it as humans, right, pain is this complex, subjective uh, experience that's dependent upon the brain that's experiencing it, right? Right. So it varies so greatly from person to person. And how we translate pain signals from what's happening and then the message gets translated and perceived in the brain, it's all dependent on a number of factors that contribute to that experience. So in a much easier way, pain is a multifactorial experience, right? Oh yeah. There's an emotional component. Part of memory uh, can, can be part of pain. Uh, a, a social environment, your environment has a lot to do with, you know, your pain experience. And so what's also been shown is that things like anxiety and depression and PTSD symptoms those can all augment the experience of pain greatly. So it can, it can make pain a much more perceived and worst problem um, than it would be without those tandem behavioral impairments, right? Now, when you say pain, you mean physical pain or like emotional pain? Or just all types of... Physical and emotional pain, right? Oh, okay. So, um, so when you look at... And, and one of the things we looked at um, when we were looking at how the VR therapy or, or the VR programs and content, like what are they actually doing to the brain? That's what we wanted to know that. So we use something called functional MRI. So functional MRI, it enables you to put someone in, in an MRI machine. Um, but what it does when the brain is focusing on something or a part of the brain is using more energy in a certain center, more oxygen will flow to that part of the brain. And so what functional MRI does is it actually traces that oxygenated blood and it will show a, a highlighted signal in the area of the brain that's most active. Wow. This, this okay. just, it's a little bit more complex, than that, but that's just a broad look at like how functional MRIs work. Right. So what we're able to do is put someone in a functional MRI and have them experience physical pain. And when that happens, you'll look at, you'll see specific centers of the brain light up. Because those are the areas responsible for pain interpretation and pain perception. There's a little bit in, in the frontal cortex for the emotional component that contributes. But where we see it is this structure called the thalamus. And it is really important in uh, being a relay station for how we perceive pain. So when someone's in a functional MRI, you have them experiencing physical pain. That area called the thalamus will light up like a football stadium on Friday night, like is very pronounced on the study. So what's interesting is within three to four minutes of taking that same individual and putting them into one of our virtual programs, one of our distraction, it's gaming, um, shooting battleships in space, something that is incredibly immersive 
and it doesn't allow the brain. It's almost like sensory overload to the brain, right? So pain requires our attention. And if you can do something to distract that attention and reprioritize how those signals are reaching the brain, you can, in effect, reduce pain. So wow. So what we, what we see is uh, when they get immersed into a program, we reduce pain by about 40 to 50% um, within three or four minutes. Minutes. Yeah. As, okay. as wow. they start to get integrated into these programs. And these, and, and these are, you know, the heavily gaming uh, programs that are requiring on distraction. You're using a lot of cognitive activity to trace games and shoot things. And, and you just, it requires a lot of uh, sensory reprioritization, right? Mm-hmm. So really fundamentally, all we're doing is distracting the brain. But we see this tremendous result and we validated that we looked at functional MRI and you can actually see the change in the activity level of the thalamus and the areas that perceive pain in the brain. They are drastically reduced uh, when, when patients are immersed into the program. So one of the interesting things about the program, and this is where we kind of delineate VX therapy, which we do at Harvard MedTech, from VR therapy, which is a really, really broad range of, of topics and applications. So VX therapy, the centerpiece, like I said before, is this component of a behavioral support clinician or coach that's guiding you through this entire program, right? Right. So what we didn't want was to send uh, people that are struggling with behavioral uh, mechanisms or struggling with pain, we don't want to send them unguided off into this, uh, these virtual realms and just kind of let them figure it out for themselves. So the guidance piece is, is really, really critical. And, and what those support clinicians are doing is they are looking at all of the contributors to how we heal from trauma, physical, emotional trauma, physical and emotional pain. And like we talked about before, tandem anxiety, tandem depression, sleep problems, PTSD and related symptoms, those all convolute and compound the process to becoming more resilient and more healing. So because that clinician, if you look at it at like 30,000 feet, Mm -hmm. the clinician is really the cook in the kitchen and the seven, eight hours of content that's built into the headset, that's like a high tech pantry of ingredients in the kitchen. And the clinician is individualizing weekly care and they're drawing on that content of programming each week to make sure whoever they're treating is benefiting the most from the program. There are so many interesting things that you just said that I want to talk on that I wrote notes about. Brad, what, <laughs> yeah. what did you did you have something you wanted to say? No, 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 that, was, oh. that just it's awesome. It's, because, <laughs> it's so cool. Well, there's a lot there that I kind of wanted a couple pieces that I wanted to unpack. Yeah, I was just curious. So it's something different each time patient experiences the virtual or is it like the same it can be you, you you'll work with your clinician or your we call them your personal coach they're all master's level uh, behavioral clinicians but you, you'll work with them and you'll you'll set goals each week around if you're anxious if you're depressed if you're in a lot of pain um, if you want to sleep better you'll set specific goals on what you want to accomplish that week short term and long term right so each week, you speak with your clinician once a week over the telephone. And, and I don't know, I don't think I said this yet. The, f- the phenomenal part of this program is it's all done right in your own home, right? Yeah, that's big. That's so big 
no one has to uh, come in and travel a long ways to get to a clinic. You don't have to worry about interacting with people you don't want to interact with. You get to do this in the comfort of your own home, which a lot of studies have shown is an optimal environment for healing. Right. Um, so we bring the point of care directly, uh, in this case, to veterans in their home. Um, and so the, the coach, your personal coach, is going to work with you to set those goals short-term and long-term. You're going to interact with them once a week. And they're basically going to suggest, hey, um, I want you to go do the dolphin swim experience. Uh, I want you to go sit on the beach in Majorca. I want you to go do the reign of relaxation. And so there are really kind of four pillars in where our content lives. And to me, one of the most important things about the program is the educational piece that we provide. So when the program starts, we front load the program with, I think right now it's seven or eight modules. It's about to be doubled on pain, physical and emotional, trauma, physical and emotional, what that means as we experience it as humans, the fact, you know, how do we experience pain as humans? The fact that if I sit and think about my pain, I'm probably going to be in pain more. So we, we really, really spend a lot of time educating patients and bringing awareness to what their experience is, is probably going to look like. And then the clinicians are all phenomenal in their field at, at identifying what programs and how what's going to provide the most benefit uh, to each patient throughout each week. Well, like I deal with a lot of physical pain for sure. Like I have five bulging discs, three herniated discs, like <clears throat> pain radi radiates down my leg. I've tried mm -hmm. a lot of miscellaneous therapies. I haven't tried this one yet, but I, I am definitely going to. And the things that you said that were really interesting. So, and I just made a couple of notes here when you talked about how we think about pain. So the first thing I immediately think of is I think of my kids. So we all have kids here. I have a five-year-old. If she complains that her stomach hurts and you say, where does it hurt? And she just says everywhere. Yeah. And I used to be a, a medic. So I know mm -hmm. like I will palpate the four quadrants of the stomach and mm -hmm. see if there's any rebound tenderness, anything like that. And if she's watching TV while I'm doing it, nothing hurts. But if she's just paying attention to me doing it, Everything hurts. And when I am laying around, like when my pain hurts the worst, because I, I work out, I like working out in the gym. I've talked about that before. And I've, despite the physical pain that I deal with, like I've told my doctor and my therapist, the pain that I feel when I don't work out is worse than the pain that I feel when I do work out. And the times where I feel like my pain is the worst is when I'm not doing anything. Is right. it when I'm sitting around laying on the couch or whatever, that's when my pain's the worst. So to think about a therapy that is completely immersive makes sense to me. Like it seems like a very simple uh, thing to me now that I've heard Seth say that because it's like, yeah, like, it hurts because you're thinking about it, but if you were to put, if you were to be put into an environment that's like a sensory overload that's causing you to shoot battleships, do whatever, but it's, it's, you have to be paying attention and you're immediately involved in doing something. It like kind of takes you out of that, that headspace, right? It almost sounds like, like a visual meditation, like legit, right. like you're meditating, but you can actually see without like picturing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and the, and the, the, the way the brain functions and how it interprets a lot of this information as incoming sensory input is we rely heavily on visual stimulus. There's auditory stimulus. 
interestingly enough, um, olfaction or smell is at the top of, of uh, interpreted signals in the brain. Um, so that's why some people will smell something and it will, it will remind them of something from like 25 years ago. Yeah, for Um, sure. There's a a strong connection between olfaction. Um, but the other one is, um, this idea of it's called, it's a big word called proprioception. And it's the idea of our brain understands where our limbs are in space, right? So when you put someone in a, in a virtual or an incredibly immersive environment, it's essentially the the visual input is overloaded to where it actually changes the physiologic response. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the videos of people wearing an Oculus, like smashing into brick walls. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> that so our program, you're always in a seat. Like yeah, you're, you're, you're never standing up like doing this stuff as a, as like a, an active like workout or you know physical therapy with this, your kids running around. That's here. right. Yeah, this is a seated thing. Because what happens is your brain gets so deceived by the the immense visual input that it actually changes sometimes the physiology of proprioception and where you kind of feel like your hands are and, and your limbs are in space. Wow. So, but I make that point to um, to say that the experiences are incredibly, incredibly immersive. So there are some there, you can go paragliding. Um, you can go paragliding over the Galapagos Islands, you can, um, there's a race car experience. So there are some that definitely have more motion and there are some that are more meditation, uh, programs as well. So when I spoke a few minutes ago about what the content looks like, there's education, there is distraction, which are the gaming. Mm -hmm. There's a meditation module, which are, those are phenomenal. I mean, I, I use those myself. Um, and then there's an escape, which is a travel to various places around the world, right? And and to your point of when your pain seems like it's at its max is when you're not doing anything. Oh, yeah. And so when you have these patients, and, and there's such a close tie to chronic pain and anxiety and depression, um, because you're, you're in this pain, you don't know why, you're likely not working or you're likely very on a working on a limited basis and you have a lot of time to sit and think about your situation. Yeah. And in, in behavioral health, they call it catastrophizing. It's this idea of like, you're always putting yourself in the worst case scenario, whether that's related to pain or I'm never going to get better. Um, this is my, this is my situation. I can't get out of this. So it sends into a downward spiral of you're always anxious and then you become depressed. And then the physiologic mechanisms of depressed, you're not releasing adequate amounts of neurotransmitters, and that directly relates to the pain experience as well. And you just, it, it's a really, really bad combination to try to heal when you're in all of those things combined together, right? Yeah. So, so the, the idea is if we can in tandem address all of the behavioral contributors to healing from traumatic experiences then we can address it more broadly and holistically. Right. And don't even get me started on opioids. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my and, God. And, and what yeah. that has done uh, to the American society and, and just given out like candy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, so since 1999, we are at the threshold of approaching a million opioid overdose deaths yeah. since 1999. And I think 20, uh, 2021 was the first year that it, it topped over 100,000. So it's, it's continuing to, to climb um, each year. 
And I always hear that. So I know so many guys and so many veterans that unfortunately got injured, whether it was in service or afterwards, and then something from that injury, whether it was the looming pain and it just put them on this downward spiral or it was an opioid addiction that they formed after being prescribed, whatever, whatever. Like having uh, such an injury like that with me, with my back, I can easily see how it can spiral like out of control sure. but my question so my question then with the vr and the vx therapy so when you're doing it i i understand from what you've explained already like why it starts to help you in that moment but when you take off that headset how does it continue to help you afterwards and you have to break it down yeah you know with smaller Two dollar words for us, yeah, not ten dollar words I, like I'm proprio. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I will, no. I will, I will abandon uh, yeah. the big words. I'm just, I'm, I ate a lot of crayons, so uh, you gotta. You gotta I'm, but you're gonna be a history hot. teacher, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, man. This, uh, so I'm gonna use one more big word, and I'll try to avoid others. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. So, no. um, what we're really relying on, and what we're taking advantage of very fundamentally is the brain's incredible ability to change itself. Yeah. And, and I think as humans, we have very little appreciation for our ability to do that. I'll tell you, um, about seven years ago, I read a book that totally flipped my views on everything I had learned about biology and neurobiology. It's a book called the biology of belief by mm -hmm. a guy named Bruce Lipton. And he essentially lays out the idea that our environment and our way of thinking actually affects our physiology and the way we express our genetics. He's very big into ep a, a, a term called epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So it, it's interesting that I am at Harvard MedTech where I am now because about six or seven years ago, I had this dramatic shift in how I viewed how we deal with um, – physical situations, how we deal with medications, how we, how we look at overall health and well-being, and the fact that our brain has this incredibility in a top-down manner to control all of those things more immensely than we ever thought they could, right? Right. Um, so a big, it's kind of a buzzword, but it's been around for a while. It's called neuroplasticity. And that uh, basically is the brain's ability to change itself. So when we look at the program and what we're doing, I mentioned that we're building more resilient patients, right? We're, we're equipping patients with these coping skills. We're equipping patients on how to manage, um, you know, we do CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. We do mindfulness. Um, we do motivational coaching, all of those things that are going to build resilience on the behavioral side. But what we're able to do in tandem with the virtual reality is over time, this is a 90 day program. Over time, we actually start rewiring neural connections in the brain so that even when you take the headset off, you're getting a legacy effect of pain relief. Wow. Um, and so when you look at uh, someone like, you know, chronic pain users, right? And we could go into a whole rabbit hole about the opioid story oh, God, uh, and yeah. where that, that originated from and the, the pharmaceutical companies that essentially made that happen. 
Um, but what, what happens with chronic pain patients is they, they ultimately, they, a, a lot of them will get on opioids and they build a tolerance to those opioids mm-hmm. and then they, those aren't working. So then that, then they end up going to the street and getting fentanyl and, and all of the m- more exponentially potent stuff that's yeah. cheaper. And it's just, it's incredible what happens in that cascade of events. Um, but what's the interesting thing about what it is when we do, when we build neuroplasticity is that when we rewire those networks, um, we're actually changing how the brain is perceiving pain over time. And in the chronically, um, in the, in a chronic pain patient, that part of the brain called the thalamus that relays information and perceives the pain that ultimately ends up just being overstimulated and overactive. And so it's continually searching for pain signals. It's continually looking like, okay, I'm supposed to be in pain. Let's go search for a pain signal. Right. And so just kind of this downward spiral. And we talked about the behavioral contributors to that. So it's, it's like, how do we, how do we break that cycle and build resilience? Right. And, um, one of the really interesting things about neuroplasticity, and here's a, here's a really fundamental example of neuroplasticity. Probably the easiest one is learning a new language. Um, your brain is, is doing different things as, as it learns uh, speech and, and motor control, how to say new words. Kids and neuroplasticity are incredible. Like, yeah. you, you can teach a kid like four languages, you know, when they're young. As we get older, our, our brain's ability to be plastic or change, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult, but it's not impossible. Um, but one of the interesting things about neuroplasticity and change <clears throat> is that the way that it happens and in, in the physiologic mechanisms of when those changes take place are not when we're doing the therapies. It's not when we're in the virtual reality experience. It's when we're in this state where the body is naturally repairing itself, which would be what do you think? I mean, when are we, when are we at most rest and our body repairs itself? When we're sleeping. Sleep, right? right? So sleep is really a critical component of this, this concept called neuroplasticity. And that's when those, those rewiring the, of new neural networks, that's all happening during sleep. And to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, there's a, a, a new kind of mechanism or new physiology called the glymphatic system okay. that essentially washes our brain at night as we sleep, right? There's, there's fluid in the brain. Um, it's called CSF mm-hmm. along with a couple other fluids, but it, it keeps our brain buoyant inside of our skull and it, it surrounds our brain and it surrounds our spinal cord. Mm-hmm. But that is continually replenished and recycled and it actually removes waste and and other things from our brain. So it's it's continually renewing itself. So newly discovered, I would say probably in the last six or seven years, they've really been looking at the glymphatic system and how it directly relates to sleep. And it's only active when we're sleeping. Wow. Um, and and what happens is when we're sleeping is when it goes to work and does all of those replenishing, getting rid of the waste, kind of filtering out everything that the brain doesn't need in that instance. When you say waste, what do you mean by waste? Because I just feel like my brain's probably got a lot of waste, <laughs> but I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean waste by like a, um, uh, at the cellular level. Okay. So physiologic, um, there are different molecules and we have the blood brain barrier, right. um, which you're aware of as a medic, but there, there are 
there are certain cellular wastes that build up in the brain. And then there's just like any other organ system, we can't, we continually replace red blood cells. We, right. You know, it's just, it's a part of that process of continually keeping everything new and, and fresh. Right. That's so crazy. But the, but the point of that is, <clears throat> is that when they discovered this and, and they found out that um, there's a neurotransmitter called uh, norepinephrine that in effect turns the glymphatic system off. And norepinephrine is what we have when we're alert and when we're awake. Right. And so they were able to tie those two things together and say that we know this is actively happening when you're sleeping. So when we look at what we do and how we're building resilience in patients from a neurobiology standpoint, mm -hmm. all of the behavioral stuff we're talking about, all of the VR stuff really hinges upon – if we can make that neuroplastic change, which is that long-term long-term change in the brain, mm -hmm. that has to take effect. And that doesn't happen unless patients are sleeping, right? Right. And so that's kind of a, a big key of the program as well is that we use the meditation programs. We'll use those with patients more toward the evening. But we build those in so that we actually totally remodel their sleep architecture as well. Yeah. And I mean – since we've started doing this uh, podcast, we've only done, you know, I think we're on like 15 episodes now. I'm not sure. But like the fundamental uh, pieces for so many issues seem like they always come down to being mindful. Yep. <laughs> getting good sleep. Yep. Like it doesn't matter what the hell you're dealing with. Like it usually boils down to those two things. And those are the two things that are affected seems like first, whenever you're dealing with anything, whether it's grief or anger or pain, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense, you know, why it's so important to get that quality sleep. And it's so interesting. Now I understand, like you were saying, how it helps you afterwards. So, I mean, it's a 90-day program, mm -hmm. right? And then after that, are there follow-ups? Is, is it dependent on the person? How does that work? Yeah, so the standard program is 90 days. Right. If we have, there are a certain number of uh, patients that qualify for what we call a step-down program. Mm -hmm. Those are typically patients that are have massive behavioral impairments and need to go through the program a little bit longer. Or they're on a really high dose of, of opioid uh, medication and we're trying to taper that off working with the physician that's treating them. Um, so there, there's a small percentage of patients that qualify for that step-down program. But in the vast majority of patients, we see that that 90 days, those, that's really the sweet spot for enacting and making real neuroplastic change. Well, because it's got to take some time. Like, <clears throat> sure. It's not something you're just going to do overnight. So, no, yeah. and, and even with the, you know, the reduction in pain and, and all that stuff, again, over time, we, we usually see patients start reporting that they're really seeing the benefits of that around week four, week five, kind of as they get started into the program, right? Wow. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, they have to get acclimated to it a little bit. They work, they, they build a relationship with their clinician and, and you have the same clinician from day one to day 90. So you're not calling in and talking to a different person each week. Right. So someone you can connect with, you're not looking at their face on a screen. It's, it's relatively anonymous. Um, but just someone to talk about anything and everything as it relates to, you know, what you're experiencing, right? And so the clinicians are really good at developing those relationships and identifying what patients are going to benefit the most from. And one of the cool things we do 
as a, in an intake manner is we try to match patients with a clinician that they're going to get the most benefit from. So whether that's personality matching um, or we have, because our company started working in um, the injured worker space. Because right. uh, those, you, you get injured on the job, whether it's falling off a ladder with a forklift, there, there's a relatively high degree of trauma associated with those things. And so what we found is, you know, work with a lot of first responders, there's a lot of PTSD related with a lot of those events. So you need a clinician that understands PTSD and, and can focus on that. So what we do initially when we bring patients on service is they do this intake survey mm -hmm. and we will we'll get that information to match them to a clinician that's going to work best with them from nice. a personality and, you know, impairment standpoint as well. Well, and I know when we first met, um, you know, you were telling me about how you guys were in that injured worker space and then you moved into the veteran space. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Probably could dial it back to like how the company started. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so our founder, a guy named Shane Pata, incredibly brilliant guy. One of these people that went to Harvard when he was 16 years old. He, uh, I know so many of those guys. <laughs> he uh, yeah. studied uh, applied mathematics and neurobiology and ended up he was going to go to medical school and he ended up just um, kind of going and being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. um, because he, he wanted kind of that thrill and that challenge. So he'll call himself a serial entrepreneur. He's, he's done this many times over. But as it relates to healthcare, he's done it a couple times. And his first venture in healthcare was he, he was in a uh, motorcycle accident and he was in a coma for an extended period of time. And when he came out of the coma, they were like, listen, you're going to heal. It's going to take time, but you're going to have to travel into the hospital to get these infusions on a weekly basis. And so when you go into hospital, you've seen these infusion clinics, it, you know, you're in this environment you don't want to be in. So he took his knowledge and know-how and, and kind of everything. And he really developed the first concept for the in-home infusion pump. So that he, he essentially took the point of care and brought it to the patient's home. Yeah. And this was back in the 80s and they were oh, wow. they were transmitting information over telephone copper wire and they figured out how they could change bolus levels in the um inside of the the infusion treatment. And so this was this was I mean this was in the 80s they were working on this type of technology. That's crazy. So he's always had a mantra for how do we provide an elevated level of care but then can we bring it right to where the patient is at. Right. So when he started Harvard MedTech, um, we started in the injured worker space, and it's 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 the same exact program that it is for veterans. Mm -hmm. um, you're getting the same clinicians, you're, you know, all those things. The program is identical because it's very reproducible. Mm -hmm. um, but we were in injured workers, multi states. I was growing that business plan, <clears throat> and then our chief medical officer said, "Hey, um, I got invited to go speak in D.C." Um, about VX therapy and, and what we can offer to the veteran space. And we thought we were going to be in the VA and uh, all, that was further down in the roadmap. And we ended up, that whole process got expedited and we were added to the, the VA contract nationally back in October. It's crazy that the VA expedited something. Yeah. That in and of itself <laughs> shows you how important it was. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I can't believe – so 
the VA, you know, when you when you're going through the VA thing can kind of take a long time. So the fact that you guys were able to kind of show this and present this to them and they took it and run ran with it and then immediately wanted it to be available to veterans and not only that, like for for veterans that are unfamiliar there is um uh, an act that went into effect called the Community Care Act. I believe that went into effect a few years ago. I'm not sure exactly when, and I might butcher this a bit, but the way that the Community Care Act works is that if, as a veteran, you need some assistance with uh, with anything medically, and that assistance is either too far away or it's going to be too long, through community care, you can go to a community care provider in your own area. And when you first talked to me about this, I thought it was like a community care thing, which means you have to go to the VA and through the referral process, you get connected with somebody else and all yeah. this other kind of stuff, which can kind of take a little bit of time, kind of be frustrating, but you were like, no, you can just go to the VA and they'll just be like, here you go. Like how, yeah. so that, how, what's the process like for a veteran that wants to try this? Yeah. So it's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, you introduced me several months ago to Karen Smytansky yep. over at the Veterans Commission. Love her. Uh, she's amazing. She is a huge proponent of this program. Mm -hmm. She knows all about it. And we actually ended up – I have a headset or VR device that lives in her office over there. And now they're located directly across the hall from the Kankakee Seabock. Yep. So if this is something that interests you or piques your interest level and you want to go try the device, you can walk in and see Karen. And, and Dave has used it as well over yep. there. He, he's um, really been interested in the program as well. You can go and try it, and then I have a little stack of, of veteran cards there, and you can walk over to the CBOC and tell your treating physician this is a service that you want, right? And we're, you know, we'll work with uh, that physician on the process of getting that order written inside of the VA, um, and we'll we'll help that veteran get onboarded and make sure they get the service. I really want to try this just from a pain perspective because personally I'm at the point where my doctor's just like, listen, it's either fuse discs, pain management clinic, or medications. Yeah. And I hate taking medications. Like I take ibuprofen and I'm sure that, you know, that could have some uh I know that I've read some things about the long lasting effects on taking so much ibuprofen for mm -hmm. so long, so I try to limit that. But I definitely feel like this is something that would be beneficial for me. Now, when it comes to Brad, I mean, Brad yep. can't see so good. Not very yeah. well, no. <laughs> what, what kind of stuff What kind of stuff does Harvard MedTech have in, in regard to this that could help someone like Brad out? So the, <clears throat> the cool thing about the device is, yes, it is heavily visually stimulating, right? Um, but what we also have, and I didn't, I should have brought them. There's a, a set of head-canceling headphones that hooks up to the system as well. So what it's going to do is it's going to isolate you into whatever uh, module that you're in. Mm -hmm. And some of the modules are, you know, whether it's swimming with dolphins or whatever it is, you kind of hear the environment, the dolphin swimming, but you have the option to go do that same experience that's guided by a narrator that's talking about mindfulness, especially in the, uh, in the meditation section. A lot of those are narrated in a way that someone who's visually impaired could absolutely benefit from the program as well. And because, remember, the centerpiece of this entire program is the behavioral support, that mm -hmm. personal coach that's guiding you through the program. You get a benefit from everything that they're guiding you through, too. So, yes, a lot of it is visually uh, – it's based on our visual perception, but with um, auditory input – 
and then the ability to work with a, a behavioral coach, you can really benefit uh, from the program as well. What do you think about that? That sounds sweet. Because that's literally what we talked about yesterday. Yeah. When we were hanging out. You were talking to me about like meditating and yeah. how you were kind of starting to fall off just a little bit. Yeah. You know, so things like this seem like it could really help you keep on track with that. Yeah. 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 That's that my, my, so my thing is my, the way my eyes work, if there's, I it can't follow like the fast moving. Sure. So that's why I can't do like TV or video games anymore. Cause it, it just, I, I can't keep up with it. So yeah. that was my biggest question was like, how is that possible? What, like you said, there's the auditory part of it too. Yeah. So that's, and we have experiences, like I said, that are way less motion. So you can go for a quiet walk in the snow and you're basically on the side of this snowy mountain and there's not a lot of movement and activity. It's more based on breathing. Some of the exercises, if you breathe with the guidance, you actually start to the trees will move with your, your breathing. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's so sweet. again, it, it can become incredibly immersive without being the fast paced, you know, motion type stuff. Yeah. And what we do is we actually reduce the frame rate of what's projected inside of the headset because we don't want to induce nausea or motion right. sickness or anything like that. And the more the resolution, the more realistic it seems. So, you know, probably the only person that's not going to benefit from the system is someone that gets dizzy really, really, really easily. Okay. Right? Yeah. And there, <clears throat> and there are programs that don't require you to use those motion programs. So you could choose programs that aren't really high pace, but if you're, if you typically get motion sickness or dizzy, you probably don't want to go paragliding over the Galapagos Islands. Yeah, that's Just saying. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I, so it seems like one of the biggest benefits overall, just from what you've talked about too, when it comes to VR and VX therapy is just the insane amount of control you can have on the situation that you're putting yourself in that you, I don't really, I can't really think of many situations where you would have that amount of control outside of VR or VX therapy. Right. right. Because like, like you said, whether it's the patient or whether it's the provider, I mean, everything that goes on in that headset is in, like is controlled to some degree, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have access to the internet, right? You know, stuff like that, where you can kind of venture off. And the interesting thing is when you know when you really look at VR versus VX, like I said, that centerpiece is the guidance and coaching you're getting. Right. There are companies out there that are just trying to ship VR headsets to patients' homes and saying, here you go, yeah. you know, go go figure it out, go have fun. And some of the stuff is narrated and it'll provide some guidance. But really, it's, it's really difficult to measure patient data when you don't have that weekly interactive feedback on subjectively what is working for you. Are you sleeping better? Do you feel less anxious when you use this program? How's your, you know, how's your you know, depressive state coming along? That weekly interaction is really the crux of, of the entire program. And the reason why I think that's incredibly important. So initially, when you first sat down with me and were talk and you were talking to me about, you know, it's a 90 day program. So immediately, and I think a lot of people are kind of uh, maybe wired this way when they hear that something's going to take this much time, you're all already like, oh man, okay, that's a, yeah. that's a lot. But 
when you think about, okay, uh, I'm treating like a chronic pain issue that I'm going to have for the rest of my damn life that affects me all day, every day, it makes sense that the treatment program has to be comprehensive a little bit and even more so when we're used to, hey, just take this pill. It's going to make everything better. Yep. Oh, great. That's way easier. I'll just do that. And yep. then that doesn't work anymore. But we understand now that a lot of the things that we have to do to try to get ourselves better, depending on what's going on with you, requires that more holistic approach, that more comprehensive approach that's bringing in all of these different pieces all together. And then to talk to a professional who can help you kind of navigate through it. Because even if something's narrated, you can't ask your headset a question at least yet i don't think right, right. so it's like right. yeah you need to talk to somebody that yeah. can kind of help you yeah figure out what it is that you're dealing with and and each time you make these uh progressions or these steps back you you have that support system that right. you can go to right absolutely i like that and you brought up a good point did you know the you know you talked about just having this mindset that a pill is going to fix everything mm-hmm. the placebo effect is more profound in the united states than any country in the world. I believe that we have been ingrained that there is a pill and a solution for everything. And a lot of that really stems back to the opioid, you know, Purdue pharma, uh, Valium before that. Yeah. And pharmaceutical companies changing and broadening their indications for what it's used for. So there's, there's this idea already ingrained in people's minds that like, Hey, there's a pill for this. Great. Right. That's all I got to do is pop a pill and chase it with water. Right. And um, this idea of looking at the bio, psycho, and social aspect of healing is infiltrating medicine everywhere. I would say in the, in the, in the last handful of years, there are a number, number of articles directly tying behavioral and mental um, impairments with how people heal even in the even in the surgery world right yeah this idea of if you have someone that's coming in anxious about a surgery there it's been shown that their pain scores post-operatively are higher than people who weren't anxious before surgery post-op exactly right so this idea that we have to look at the individual as a whole and that's really where vx came from because we wanted to shift rx which is prescription Mm. to vx this holistic, let's look at the individual versus the singular disease that we're going to try to treat with a pill. And then oh. have you watched any pill commercials lately? And, and like the list of like 90 side effects. They're the best. <laughs> Every pill commercial is the same because they're always kayaking and super happy. Oh, yeah, yep. they're, they're it's playing. like may cause uh, suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at the end, you're like, what? Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you're prescribing medication to counter the side effects. So it just goes down this long yeah. cascade of events that yeah. just... I, I don't understand how you get out of that. Right. So we look at holistically, what can we do for the individual by addressing all of these behavioral biologic components to how they're going to heal. So I want to try this headset on before I do, I have one other quick question. So I work with, and just out of curiosity, cause I thought about this as you've been talking and it seems like it'd be something that would fit within this, uh, within this area, but like addiction sure. and things like that. Does, is there anything in the VX world that starts to work with any sort of substance abuse or addiction issues? I get that question like oh, I bet. 11 times a week, and, yeah. and it's an important question. Um, one of the challenging things 
with where we're at at Harvard MedTech and where we're at with what we do is that it does have broad sweeping applications, right? It seemed like it would. And yeah. you, you look at like, my dad is a hospice chaplain. Right. So when you look at palliative care and end of life, um, my mind immediately went to, this should be available to every every patient that is transitioning from Hell yeah. to whatever's next in their journey. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, and I had some internal discussions as a, and we're technically still a startup. We've been around four years, but we've had about approaching about 2000 patients that have graduated our program. Wow. Um, and that's going to exponentially increase over mm-hmm. the next year or two. Right. So, but one of the challenging things to look at is like where we have the ability to be effective with, with everything that we're doing and our CEO is really brilliant and focusing in that lens of let's do what we do really, really well, validate those outcomes, build relationships with the entities that we're working with, whether that's insurance, the people that pay for it, or whether that's the VA. Let's create a re- reproducible program. And then after those validated incomes, we, outcomes, we can start looking at broader applications that makes and for sense. me it's it's such a challenge because you, i sit and i literally think of, i if we had a whiteboard in here we could spend two oh, hours yeah. <laughs> just kind of chasing where all the apple i mean cognitive training um all the different you know addiction stuff there are literally hundreds of things you could say well this would be really beneficial for that why don't we chase that down right but we're kind of staying focused on that that long and narrow road yeah validating the outcomes and then i'm sure we'll branch out from there that makes sense to me it reminds me of like uh do you ever watch any of like the restaurant kitchen nightmare type shows or anything like that where like gordon ramsay comes oh yeah, in yeah. And just yells at everybody <laughs> like one of the things that they always would do whenever they go into a restaurant and change everything is they would look at the menu and there'd be like 50 items and then he'd like take it and rip it up and he'd be like you guys are going to do three things <laughs> and you're going to be really good at these three things sure. before you try to branch out and do anything else so i mean it makes sense when you're taking something as complicated as pain, PTSD, anxiety, depression, you focus on all that shit first and then right. see how it can be replicated. Across. And it's yeah. important to know, too, that it's not there's not a silver bullet, one solution oh, no. for anything. Right. So what we do, it's it's another arrow in the quiver. Yeah. It's another tool that physicians can draw on to use in tandem with current treatment protocols, right? So we're not coming in, we're not trying to replace all behavioral health in the VA. That's impossible. Those people are incredibly valuable and provide treatment that's really important. But we can exist in a space where we bring the point of the care right to the patient's home. Yeah. And that can be done to augment the patient experience and um, make them feel a little bit more comfortable about participating in something they might not drive into a clinic and do every single week. Not only that, but you don't have to wait nearly as long. Because oh, the sometimes... wait times are 90 days at least right now to get in. Yeah. What we're seeing to see kind of behavioral specialists there. Right. And so it, the, the timeliness in care is important. And that's huge. And then, again, like you said, the accessibility is a big deal too. So I think that's really cool. So before we try this on, we're going to see how this works. If people want to find out more information, if people want to talk to you, if people have questions for sure. you, how do they go about getting a hold of you? You can go to Harvard med tech and tech is t-e-c-h mm-hmm. harvardmedtech.com mm-hmm. there uh there's a lot of great information on there but if you're a veteran and have specific questions you can do one or two things you can email me directly at s berkey so it's turkey with a b mm-hmm. 
sberkey at harvardmedtech.com, and I'll get you connected with who you need to get connected to. Or if you're a local veteran in Kankakee and this is something that you're interested in, go see Karen Smitansky over at the Veterans Commission. Try this out. Um, Remember that the VR is only one piece of the program. You have that coach that's going to be along the way. But try it out. If it's something you're interested in, they're going to give you a card and you can go. Um, We're actively educating all the CBOC physicians. Great. So that when patients start coming in requesting this, they know what it is and we can get it to them in a timely manner. Very cool. Okay, well, Brad, do you have any other questions, my friend? No, I'm this is, I'm excited. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you want to give it a shot too? You want to try it too? Like, and I have, definitely want to try and it. And we have time, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and give this a, a try. And Seth, before we do anything else too, did you have anything else you wanted to add that you don't feel like we talked about? No, I, th- I think we addressed, you know, everything just – really well. I mean, just a, a way to kind of shift the way that we approach treatment yeah. and physical and emotional trauma mm-hmm. and a way that we recover from that with education and with a way to bring the accessibility right into the veteran in their own home. I think it's just, a, it's a lot of critical things that we covered. Yeah. Well, one of the coolest things for us, and for me at least, since we've started doing this podcast, is just learning all of the beautiful pieces that really come under this gigantic cloud of mental health yes. stuff. You know what I mean? All the things that are out there, all the new therapies that are out there, the new ideas that people have, and how simple simple concepts get expanded upon by professionals, and they come up with stuff like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is just another, like you said... Another uh, arrow for the quiver. Like it's another thing, another tool in your toolbox that that you can use in addition to a lot of other things. But the difference with this is you can use it in your own house. Yeah. Right. And this gives a whole new meaning to mind over matter. At least for me anyway. Like it's the whole thing. It's crazy. Yeah. 100%. It's nuts. All right. Let's give this thing a shot. Yeah. It should. It'll auto. You put it on your head. It'll auto turn on. Right, I think I have first. you in the um, in the dolphin swim experience. Oh, I'm going first. Nice, yeah, get it. Oh boy, do I ditch the glasses then? You, I'm a... you can keep them on or you can take them off. Whatever you All feel right. like's gonna. I'm assuming I have to ditch these two. Yeah, 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 yeah probably. Yeah. Is there a way that you could put him in the movie Elf because he hates Don't that movie? Do that. <laughs> and that would be pretty awesome if you could do that. That would be the worst experience of my right. life. Oh. We'll work with the hat. I would fight, oh, and the only way I would do that is if I got to fight Will Ferrell. God, he's tall. He's really tall. I know. He'd probably... <gasps> I can hear it. You can hear the dolphins. Oh, that's fantastic. And you can, you can look. So it's there's gaze, but it's it's complete 360 degrees. You can look anywhere and everywhere. Oh, that is so cool. You like it? Yeah, that's awesome. And this is... Remember, this is one experience out of seven or eight hours of content, right? So you can... Like I said, we, we licensed some of the David Attenborough Planet Earth stuff. Oh my God, really? So yeah, so like the <sighs> Galapagos Islands and and but but think about what this is doing. Not only this isn't probably what he's doing right now isn't necessarily as immersive and distracting as some of the gaming would be. But oh, what sure. this is doing is it's giving people an escape that are constantly sitting and thinking about their situation and how they're never gonna get better. <sighs> so we're giving them a way to escape throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and then talk about it with their clinician and how it helped them. And the fact that I'm a huge David Attenborough fan, like I could listen to him narrate anything. Oh, so yeah. The fact that you could sit there and just feel like David Attenborough's talking to you as you're sitting there in this environment. Like it really ups your meditation game up. All right. I want to swim with some dolphins. Yeah, I want to swim with some dolphins. Let me swim with dolphins. And the cool thing is, too, it's it's relatively intuitive, right? 
Um, we didn't want it to be something that's difficult for people to figure out. Oh yeah. So all the programming is controlled by your gaze. Yeah. So you can, if you look down uh, and you're facing forward, the little circular menu will pop up. Yep. And you, you can hold that until the circle completes. Oh, yeah. And it allows you to navigate the menu. So you do it all with your gaze. Oh, that's super um, easy. And it doesn't connect to Wi-Fi. So you don't have to worry about, you know. That's awesome. Too. I don't know, my Wi-Fi password. All the content is built into the headset. So that's you're, awesome. you're ready to go. It's super soothing. That was very, I could see how that could be very therapeutic. Yeah. That, was a, that was awesome. It's so crazy how I know that I am at you know, in the production studio of Lamore Media, and you put that on for like two seconds, you're like, oh shit, dolphins. Yeah. That's <laughs> so like, cool. oh my God, I'm underwater somehow. Like yeah. that is, that is really cool. And you yeah. can augment that experience with the headphones, right? Right. Like, yeah. The headphones oh man. On, you really isolate yourself. You add a second level of, of, um, sense perception, auditory perception. So it's just it's really, and to me, what's interesting, um, I've always been a fan of, you ever heard of ASMR? ASMR. So you, so. when you get a chance sometime, YouTube or read about ASMR, it's okay. an acronym that stands for Autonomic Sensory Meridian Response. Real big, real big terminology. <laughs> A-M- A-S- I already screwed it yeah. up. ASMR. Killing me okay. with the big okay. words, right. man. Okay. <laughs> so when you um, listen to sp- certain sounds, do you ever watch, tell me you watch Bob Ross? Hell yeah, I watch okay. Bob Ross. So Bob Ross, let's give him... Let's give the tree a little friend. Yeah. <laughs> he had this very calming, low voice. But there were specific sounds that like the paintbrushes made on the canvas. Yeah. He would make the mountains and scrape with the knife. So in a certain number of people, it doesn't happen with any, everyone, but there are certain people that when that knife is scraping across that canvas, it elicits a neurologic response and you kind of get tingles or goosebumps. Wow. And so, so for some people, it's wa- the sound of walking in gravel. For some people, it's like whispering. Um, so it's this broad category. And there's some really weird ASMR stuff out there. So, so <laughs> don't go down. That's for the next episode <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> don't, don't go down too far. Rabbit hole. But, but the general idea is the same, that it kind of transport you transports you to this place where you're thinking about some other things and and by thinking and, and engaging in that the brain is changing a physiologic response to it so it's, it's similar to that it's just insane on when you put that thing on how fast you you just kind of forget where you're at a little yeah. bit you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. that's crazy and for you you felt it too right despite the fact uh, that you're dealing with the with your vision issues yeah like you were still able to get something out of that too. Are you able? No, were you able to make out specific things in the in the program? Yeah, yeah. Because at one point, Dolphin got pretty close. I okay. I wanted to like reach knew. out. I was like, no, it's not real. Ah. <laughs> and then you just like slapped the microphone. <laughs> like, get away from me, Dolphin. <laughs> no, I would never, dude. I, I don't know, man. I'm a big fan of dolphins. You like dolphins? There's a, I, there's a shark. So. There's a shark swim experience too. But like most people, that that is anxiety producing. Oh, yeah. dude. So you know, some people will be like, if you got sharks, don't put me anywhere near them because I'm, I'm really, panicking. I'm really excited to try this. This is really yeah. Cool. That's super cool, Seth. Thank you. Thank you so much, man, absolutely. for coming yes. on thank here. You guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah. And Appreciate I really the opportunity. absolutely. And again, remember, if you guys need to reach out to him. Uh, if you are a veteran, like Seth said, if you are a local veteran in Kankakee County, go to the Veterans Assistance Commission in Kankakee County. Uh, talk to Karen, Ashley, Dave, anybody there with their team, and they can get you hooked up with one of these. But now 
you guys are, is it just associated with the Illinois Department of Veteran Affairs? But you went to D.C., so this is VA. This is so probably. if a veteran's listening to this wherever, yeah. they can go get this too. They can. They okay. can. Yep. Okay. Very and cool. I would I would encourage them to email me uh, okay. directly so that we can make sure, because remember, we're, we're in this massive educational effort. Yep. Um, so I would encourage them to reach out directly so we can help facilitate and make sure their local veteran uh, facility has been educated about the program. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank Seth. you. Really thank cool you. Talking to you again, man. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. That was uh, exactly what I expected. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. I am going to probably get one of those headsets. No, yeah. I, I, no I will 100% am going to get one of those headsets. It's just a matter of me making sure I make the time to do it just to deal with the pain. Yes. And also just to swim with dolphins whenever I damn well please. That was so cool. Yeah. I thought <laughs> that was really cool. So happy. But you genuinely appreciate that too right i you did i i really mind? did i i thought it was going to be a lot but it, it's good to know that there was like the slower meditation type where i don't have to follow a lot you had some just, reservations just peacefully watch dolphins swim by who doesn't want to do that uh but no so before we finish this episode out i wanted to end on a high note i found this ep- uh this article on the good news network which i also recommend to anybody to check out if you just want to read about some good news uh, tiny alabama town shocked to learn that a farmer had secretly paid people's pharmacy bills for a decade uh so there was uh in geraldine alabama there's a man named hody childress I've never in my life met a person named Hody. That's the most Alabama, I feel like, name I've ever heard. Um, unfortunately, he had passed away, and at his funeral, they found out that this quiet farmer was actually a guardian angel for the town's poor and sick. Now, he was a farmer and a U.S. Air Force veteran, because, of course, uh, he began this covert charity campaign where he visited the local drugstore, and when he learned that too many of the town's 900 residents couldn't afford to pay for prescriptions, he started donating money every single month to make sure that he could help people pay for their prescriptions. So he did it every single month for over a decade. Nobody knew about it other than who worked at that drugstore and his daughter after he passed away because he wanted somebody to carry on the task. Uh, His daughter did. Obviously, she was incredibly moved by it. His funeral was January 5th of this year, of 2023, and his daughter told the story of Childress's decade of giving and how he was able to cover the cost of expensive medications for two residents every single month, and the entire town said that in uh, his passing that they will continue to carry on his legacy. So a very beautiful story. Absolutely. Um, but other than that, my friend, you got anything else today? No, that was a no? good episode as always. Yeah? As we all. learned some big words like neuroplasticity <laughs> oh, and oh, proprio, man. proprio, pro, proper. <laughs> I don't know. We're doing man. our best. We're we are, doing we're great. We're trying. Well, thank you again for listening in. We hope you got something out of this episode, and we look forward to talking to you soon.